Am I rolling? I think I'm rolling. Okay. Uh, part two. I'm just going to keep going. So this is part two of my little Sunday morning coffee and hangout with you guys. I'm answering all of the questions you sent me on Instagram. And you're, you're always sending me such thoughtful, deep, philosophical, beautiful, meaningful questions that I can just keep talking forever on each single question. So I'm going to start uh, between the first little round of questions and answers. And this one, I did take a little break to refill my coffee. So I'm going to start with a coffee question. I saw it somewhere here. I'm going to scroll on my Instagram. Where is it? Where is it? Uh, okay. Philodendi asks, what's your favorite way to drink coffee? So you guys, how I drink my coffee is a very intimate thing, okay? I like my coffee black, strong. I have this beautiful Mocha Master filter coffee machine, which is my favorite. I smuggle coffee from Sweden to wherever I go. <laughs> Sweden has a coffee brand called Suegas, and it's my favorite. I literally buy packages and bring with me no matter where I go to Berlin to Portugal to Malta like wherever I will bring a package of Swedish coffee and uh, I can't start my days without it okay I could literally talk about coffee forever so I'm gonna keep going hang on need to get my questions again Ivana is asking I am moving to another country for work on literally my own any advice for a beginner well first of all Ivana you are about to have the most incredible adventure of your life. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be hard. You're going to cry. You're going to want to go back. You're going to feel alone. But all of these things are growing pains. They are thrown to you so you can learn how to get over them, how to move forward, how to uh, conquer them. Because that's how you build your strength as an individual. I truly believe that. When you figure out how to not give up when it gets tough, but to keep going and find your ways around them, that's when you're going to get to a point where you feel like you got this. No matter what happens, you got this. And you can trust yourself to always find a way. And there's no better feeling than that. Also, I, I did record a podcast episode, I think it's like three, four episodes ago, called Moving Away to Reinvent Yourself or something similar. Uh, listen to that. A part two of that is coming soon because it's obviously such a beautiful topic for me because that's how I, I mean, I feel like that is my identity, moving away to, to start something new or go after your dream. So look out for that. Um, but if I could go back and tell myself something when I was younger, it would be, don't be so scared. I know I wasted a lot of my first year out in the world by just being scared and worried. I wasted so much time thinking about going back home, thinking about giving up. That's why today I talk so much about the fact that if you don't have a plan B, you're gonna find a way to plan A. And it comes from this first year of mine where, like I said, I wasted so much time thinking about plan B. Instead, I could have used that energy and time towards figuring out how to make plan A work no matter what. Because if you give up on the idea that 
well, if this doesn't work out, I can just go do something else. You're going to go do something else because you're not going to fight as hard as you might need to in order to make plan A work. So just embrace the whole adventure of it. Don't be scared. Or, I mean, you are going to be scared, but but don't worry about it. Maybe that's what I'm saying. You are going to be scared. It is going to be tough. And that's okay. Like, it's a part of it. Embrace that as a part of the full adventure. And, you know, it's going to get easier. The first time, like the first couple of months, maybe even the first year, is going to be super freaking hard. But it's going to get better. And the reward, once you get over that first hurdle... There is nothing better than it. So just keep going. Uh, Okay. We have a question from Mina CK. (laughs) Uh, Saying, you are such an inspiration. Thank you very much. How do you know that you're on the right track in life? Mm, Um... You know what's really interesting? So I ended the last part of this question hangouts episode talking about spirituality. And for me, this has to do with spirituality because I have always had this feeling that, I don't know, it's intuition, I guess. For example, I try to make decisions to move places. Like I had a a time when I had decided to move to Prague, I had decided to move to Amsterdam. It just did not, like there was something about it that didn't feel effortless. It was a decision and I had all the practical pieces planned and ready to go. But something inside of me just felt like this doesn't feel effortless. There's something that that pulls me back from this decision, that pulls me back from making this move. That feeling to me is when the universe is trying to to redirect you. The universe is trying to say, "Mm -mm, you're going off track. You are not following your path. I believe I have a section in my first book, Empty Roads and Broken Bottles, where there's something uh, similar to... When you are on the right track in life, you're going to feel like you have the wind in the back. Like things will flow easier. When you're off track, when you're doing something that you are not naturally supposed to be doing, you're always going to fight uphill. Like to me, it doesn't mean that you can't make it work. It just means that it's always going to be a little bit harder than if you were aligned with your natural path. I have felt that for sure. I have had moments when I have felt like, whoa, things are flowing, like opportunities are coming to me. I am improving fast. I am meeting the right people without making a huge effort, like things are going well. And I feel very happy. I don't feel like I'm struggling. I don't feel like I'm convincing people to support me. These are the moments I think I have been on track in life. Then I've had other moments when I have felt like I am spending all my time, energy, and effort into convincing other people that I can do this. And I am also kind of trying to convince myself that I can do this. And it feels like every little step I take, I'm being pushed back two steps. Like there was no support in my back. There was no natural ease. And these are the times I think I have been off track. So for me, when it comes to knowing if you're on track or off track in life, it's about intuition. How does it feel for you? 
And I think there's a there's an important distinction because even when you are on track, you might set yourself a really big challenge or goal. And of course, you're going to have to fight and work really hard to overcome that. But I've had moments when I have really had to push myself to overcome something, but it still didn't feel like an uphill battle. It felt like an exciting challenge, like, you know, like you're excited to run a marathon or something. Like you were excited to overcome this because you truly believed you could. Yeah, so it's about intuition for me. And if things flow easily or if you feel like you always have to push uphill, then you might want to sit down and and really think about, do I truly enjoy what I'm doing? Am I naturally good at this? Or am I trying to get really good at something that I don't even enjoy practicing? So for example, are you trying to pursue something or get good at something just because you think it's what you're supposed to be doing? Or maybe because you think it's what's gonna make you successful or popular or cool or accepted or acknowledged? Or do you really truly care about this thing? I I think I have definitely fallen into these traps of like, I tried to get good at something because I thought it, it was what I was supposed to be good at or was supposed to know something about, but actually I didn't enjoy practicing it or learning about it. And then you're off track. Then you're trying to to do something for the wrong reasons. So that is also important, I think, to do what you're doing for the right reasons. Then you're on track. Okay, I guess I could talk about this for a long time. I want to leave you with a recommendation to Google Joseph Campbell. He's talking about what is he saying? Like, follow your bliss. That's what he's saying. Google Joseph Campbell, follow your bliss. That's kind of his way of saying, follow your natural path in life, like your natural, your your plan, what the universe planned for you. Follow your bliss. If you follow your bliss, you're going to have the wind in the back. I love Joseph Campbell. Big recommendation. Okay, next question comes from Caleb, I think that's how you say it, Caleb, very nice name. How did you begin with writing books and do you have any tips? Well, I feel like I've told this story so many times, so I don't want to go into details. I have a podcast episode a long, long time ago where I'm talking about publishing books and stuff. You can find that. I might actually create an updated podcast episode because it is probably like two or three years ago now. But long story short, I started writing books not at all as a way to become an author. Like it was never anything I planned to do. I was a songwriter. And when I released my first debut album back in 2000 and what could it be? 12, 13? I wanted to share the story behind the album That album was a result of me wandering around in England for one and a half years, just really fighting to build up my following and to get my songs out there. And, you know, as everyone, I was fighting with being a young person in the world. Like, is this the right thing for me? What if nothing ever changes? Will I ever be able to pay my rent? Will people ever accept me? Uh, Will the industry ever accept me? Um... And I documented all of that. In the beginning, I had no intention to write a book. I started documenting my journey on Tumblr, which was like my blog at the time. 
Every day when I moved to London, I was writing about what I went through and what I was thinking and feeling. And then when it came to releasing my full-length album, I asked on, like at that time, Facebook and Twitter were the biggest platforms. Instagram didn't really exist back then. So uh, then I asked on my Facebook and Twitter, like, hey, if I would collect all these stories or journals from my Tumblr and put them into a book to go with my full-length album, would you guys be interested? And I got so much incredible response from that. So uh, my first book, Empty Roads and Broken Bottles, was published to accompany my first album, sort of saying, here are the 12 songs, and here is my journey towards creating this album. Uh, but what happened was, I first of all fell in love with the process of writing a book. At that time, before I published the first book, I went on to do some internships at book publishing companies because I wanted to learn how to actually do this properly. And I just loved the whole world of book publishing. So I wanted to keep writing books after that. But also, what was really cool was that this book kind of took off on its own. I thought that only people who were fans of my music would buy this book. But actually, people started buying the book without necessarily being fans of my music, which was really cool. So then I went on to write two more books, which were You're Doing Just Fine and Another Vagabond Lost to Love. Uh, I published them at the same time. I wrote those when I had moved to Berlin the first time and started wandering a little bit more in Europe, like I had left England. Those two books really took off because they had nothing to do with my music at the time. And it was just a, a new sort of experience for me. Like, wow, I can actually be an author like on its own. Obviously, my music and my books will always be connected, but people can find my books even though they don't like my music. That was like a new beginning for me. Like, that's when it all changed kind of thing. So that's how I started writing books. And then obviously I just I just kept writing books and I'm so, so grateful. But I should say like before I even decided to publish my first book, I had always been a book nerd. Like I was always reading so much and I even studied comparative literature before I even thought about writing this book. So I did have a lot of love for literature. I have always been writing, even though I never thought of writing a book. I was always writing um, journals and novels and poetry and essays. I had a blog when I was younger, and then I had my Tumblr, and obviously songwriting was always a part of my life. So looking back, it was almost obvious that I would write books at some point. It was just never anything that I actually like dreamt of as a little girl or so. But yeah, that's how I started. And do you have any tips? Well, I mean, I do have so many tips. I, you know what, uh, Caleb, I'm definitely going to record an updated episode on, on publishing books only because I always get so many questions on this. But I would say one thing that I always tell people, no matter if it's about wanting to write and publish books or wanting to start writing songs or releasing songs, I have always been such a big fan of educating yourself about the industry you're entering. If you want to write because you love writing and just publish it on your social media, like do it. Do it because you love it and don't try to get anything out of it. There's nothing more noble than doing art for no other reason than doing art. But if you want to write books for the sake of publishing them and reaching new people who are not your friends and family, 
then you have to educate yourself on what you're about to be doing. Study, book publishing, book formatting, book marketing, the history of literature. Um, and you don't have to go to school. You, you learn these things by being interested, like follow the people that are talking about these things. Listen to the podcast. There are hundreds of thousands of podcasts on book publishing and the book publishing industry and how to write books for every single different genre. Understand the, the business side of it. Like how do big publishing houses work? How do self-publishing work? So you can make educated decisions. Um, same thing if you want to release your own music. Educate yourself on the industry. What is a record label? What do they actually do? What is a music publisher? What is an agent? What is a music supervisor? Know how these people operate and why you would hire one. Understand what it means to be an independent artist. Understand how you get on playlists or how you get your music out there, how you get a booking agent. For me, there's nothing worse than artists who love what they do, but just complain about how hard it is to be an artist. And then when you dig into why they complain, it turns out because they actually have not done anything to understand the, the industry they have entered. So a tip is decide why you do this. If you do it because you love it, and that is the only reason, just do it because you love it. And don't be concerned about followers or likes or book sales. But if you do it because you actually want to, you know, build a following or a readership or a fan base, then be interested in learning that process and what that means. Yeah, that would be my tip. And, you know, I think I am maybe like fortunate enough to actually really love learning about all of these things. I have so many incredibly talented friends, both songwriters and book writers who just hate the business part of it. They don't want to know about the business part of it. They just want to be creatives. But they also do want to make a living of this. That's great. But then you have to find another person who can operate as this, the manager, who can take care of all of these like admin stuff for you. And then you at least, at least know what you're looking for in that person. So education. Education is king, always. I feel like I'm talking so fast that I get out of breath. Cruises. Oh, I'm totally butching your name. Cruises. Cruises. How did you find peace within yourself after heartbreak? Mm. Um, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody, but alcohol helped. Joking. Don't drink. Um... You know what? I wrote my way through heartbreaks always, every time. You can you can read about all my heartbreaks and all my books. <laughs> That's really how I have. I mean, I think that that is why art and writing, both songwriting and book writing, is so has been so important to me through my life because they have helped me through some really terrible heartbreaks. Um, and I, you know, I think it's important that a heartbreak doesn't have to be like breaking up with a girlfriend or boyfriend. A heartbreak can also be breaking up with a career or um, your family or your boss or a city. You can feel heartbroken for so many different reasons. Um, but writing, writing through heartbreak has been my way every time. Going somewhere new, that is also a big part for me. 
every single time I've gone through a heartbreak, I have left the city it happened in. That I think that that is actually quite important. I left the city it happened in so that I didn't have to walk around and like dwell in the story day in and day out. I went somewhere new, met new people, new energy, new views, um, quite a lot of whiskey, and I wrote and read. You know, read about other people's experiences. That helps me also every single time. I, I think I've never found so many new favorite authors and thinkers as when I was going through like a heartbreak. I always say a broken heart is an open heart to take in and and give out in a way that you never really do when you are just like on a stable kind of happy place in life. Then I think I always feel like when, when you feel emotionally stable, your heart is a little bit more closed than when you are cracked wide open. And when you're cracked wide open like that, I always feel like I I feel poetry and music 10 times more deeply, which can be actually very, very beautiful. I, I feel like in other phases when I have felt just very like going through the motions and kind of happy, but not overly happy, definitely not sad. I'm just like here doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I struggle with listening to beautiful songs and reading beautiful books, but I don't really feel it like it doesn't it doesn't I don't know it's so sad I I know these moments when I have read something and I always thought this is so good but I don't feel anything like what's wrong with me so when you're heartbroken like dwell in that you you feel you feel things 10 times more deeply and you know lastly this is not helping you right now but time really does heal all wounds it's a it's it's a cliche that has survived because it's true one day no matter how impossible it sounds right now you are gonna wake up one day and you're gonna realize that you don't feel awful anymore and you're gonna realize that you actually feel kind of okay and even you know after that you're gonna wake up one day and realize whoa I am totally over it it's going to happen. Yeah. And lastly, again, this book helped me. Um, I recommended this in part one. Pick up a book called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself by Joe Dispenza. I, I keep recommending it in all kinds of different situations in life because he's touching on something that I think is a mass problem in the world. And I did this too. That's why that book was so important to me. He's talking about when you're going through something, You can learn to be controlled by your past, like repeat your own story about your own past every single day, or you can learn to be driven by the future, driven by your vision of the future. Every day you make a decision to repeat your past story or to repeat your future vision to yourself. I mean, just read the book. It's, uh, I I can never recommend it enough. It's life-changing. That's what it is. Okay, next question. Um, Flo, Flo, my running friend. Um, Flo is asking, how do you deal with criticism on your work? Great question. Hmm. This is like, this is actually a longer answer because it is connected to 
The Glass Child, like the name The Glass Child, even before I had released my first songs, I had a MySpace. <laughs> uh, it was back in the days. I was a MySpace kid and I put up my first like homemade demos on MySpace and made friends with other artists um, and bands. So back in the days, like this is now 15 years ago, almost more. Um, shit. It's true. Back in the days, it was very easy to get featured or interviews on, on big blogs. And they were like MySpace blogs. They were kind of big because blogs were just a completely new thing by, by then. Um, there was a site called AbsolutePunk.net that talked about like emo bands. And I was right up that alley. <laughs> so I was featured on that site. It wasn't hard because there weren't that many independent bands doing this thing and if you were a little bit mm, business savvy and like knew how to reach out to these blogs they would feature you and interview you so i got my first incredibly great and positive reviews very early on on literally just my demos but then i also got my first quite negative reviews very early on and it obviously creates this weird thing for artists because you are doing everything you can to get people's attention, right? Like we want people to hear our songs, but we we don't want to hear, like we don't want the bad opinions to reach us because I'm not going to change the music I do just because a critic doesn't like it. That's the truth. If I love my music and I wouldn't release the music unless I loved it, I'm not going to change the music I do just because someone else doesn't like it, you know? So it's like a tricky balance there. And so the glass child became a metaphor for so many things. But the, one of the metaphors is this thing of, I want to sit here behind my glass and I want you to look at me. I want you to see what I'm doing, but I don't want to hear what you're saying. I want you to be able to see me, but I don't want you to be able to reach me. I want you to smile at me. Uh, scream at me behind this glass. I just don't want you to be able to touch me and reach me. And that created this separation. Uh, and I think very early on, I, I created that isolation, separation between me and the rest of the world in a way to protect myself from these bad opinions. Obviously, that was a teenage girl who didn't, who, who didn't know how to take bad criticism. I think today I am a little bit more welcoming of negative feedback, but it depends on who it's from and how it's communicated to me. So for example, there was uh, I, got, I saw a comment on Amazon a couple of weeks ago only that said something like, oh, the book is really, is really good, I really loved it, but it's, um, it's written with UK English which is kind of weird when she's selling it on the U.S. Amazon. Uh, it also made it kind of clumsy to read for me sometimes. And I thought, that makes so much sense. Like, that's, that's great feedback. Um, she also wrote in that review, like, I'm only giving her three or four stars or whatever because of this. And also there were, like, some spelling and grammar mistakes in the book. And I thought, that's so, I'm so happy she said that. I'm hiring three or four proofreaders for every single book who are native English speakers in order, because I'm not native English speaker, right? So if there are still some spelling and grammar mistakes in my books, I want to know about it. So I can hire one more proofreader to really go through the last things that should be edited out. 
So after I saw that review, I went back and I edited that book to American English, and I hired another proofreader to make sure that there are no more mistakes in there. So like, if it's like good, real feedback, I welcome it. I want to, I want to get better and do things better. But then there are also, you know, if, if it's a comment that says, this sucks, I don't like it. <laughs> to me, it's just like, yeah, then why, why did you just waste your time? Like, I don't like all kinds of music. I'm very selective with the music I like and with the books I like. So I'm not going to waste my precious life following someone that I don't like. You know, it's just so stupid. Let everyone do what they love. And if you don't like it, then just move on. So that's a different kind of comment. That comment doesn't get to me because it's literally that says more about that person than it does about me. But if it is like constructive, good feedback, I welcome it now. And I, I think I did not do that back then. But yeah, it's an art to learn how to get feedback on your work for sure. Okay, uh, another question on sort of the writing process from Eva Marie, who says, have you seen... <clears throat> have you seen more acceptance and respect swift towards self-publisher literature? Have you seen more acceptance and respect uh, towards self-publisher lit? This is such a good question because in my associations, self-publishing has always been more respected than most traditional publishing because there are very different ways to self-publish. One is to just write a book and throw it up on Amazon and not have a marketing plan behind it. But most of the people who have done this for years now, they are entrepreneurs. They have built businesses and companies and teams. Um, and they very often have worked, if not with, then for major publishing houses. And they have realized that the way a major publishing house operates is a very flawed they take such a huge cut of the royalties from authors um, and the author is still responsible for the marketing. So I think it depends on the, the sort of circle you surround yourself with. I have always respected um, entrepreneurs more than the major book houses. It's exactly the same way as I have always seen the music industry I have always respected an artist who creates his or her own record label and outsources the necessary parts of the business and has 100% full control of the creative process and the promotion and the branding compared to, you know, someone who like signs a record deal before they have done anything. And they also then sign away a lot of their control, the label gives them an identity and a sound and a producer and a team. And I don't know, I, for me, it's always very, there's something very noble and honorable about taking control of your own art and your own life. Obviously, that goes very much hand in hand with who I want to be as a person. I want to be in control of my own life. I don't want to follow anybody's system or rule book for how something is supposed to be done if it doesn't make sense to me. So to answer your question, there's always been a huge respect for entrepreneurs, no matter if those entrepreneurs write and publish books or release music or create startups or launch apps. 
but I think it depends on the associations. I know for a little short while I studied literature at uh, like physically at a university. I eventually went on to do it just online because the the professors at the university they had never published anything else but in those highbrow literary magazines. While I wanted to reach normal people, not academics. So again, it it so depends on the people you surround yourself with and what you want to get out with your art. Um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Okay. Alan. Okay. Alan, my friend, I have to introduce everyone to Alan. Alan is one of the most talented singers and songwriters in the entire universe. I met Alan in London, what is it now, 12 years ago, <laughs> 13 years ago, and I'm still just waiting for Alan to release his full-length album. Okay, Alan asks, if you could make an entire album of collabs, what would the what would be the artist you would choose? Oh my god, okay. Oh, an album. well you, Alan, I would love to do a collab song or album with you that would be a dream come true um then i would also have copeland copeland is one of my favorite bands on the planet i would have them i would i would just want to feature on a song with them then i would have Andy franco for sure Andy franco is one of my all-time heroes uh trevor hall would be cool a little bit a little bit acoustic reggae kind of in there um, he is, is just a very soulful artist. Would love him on this record. Then I need Adam Duritz. Uh, he's the singer of Counting Crows, also one of my favorite bands. Um, yeah, wow. If I could do something with Adam Duritz, that would be, I would die happy. Um, Damon Rice, we need there. Uh, we have a living legend on the planet still, Damon Rice. He would, uh, I mean, I don't even want to ruin a song for him. He, I just want him to do a solo thing on the album. I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> Brand New would be cool. Uh, my favorite emo band. Uh, they're not, maybe they can do a reunion just to <laughs> feature on my album. Um, and Hanson, hello. Me and the Hanson. Uh, you know, when I was younger, Every Christmas, when like kids wrote their lists to Santa, I wrote, um, please Santa, can I get to be a part of Hanson next year? I wanted to be the fourth Hanson brother. <laughs> that was my biggest dream. So yeah, this would be a great collab album. I would love that. Cool. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna cover two more questions. I have a couple left, but I feel like I have covered the answers to these questions in my previous ones anyway, so I'm gonna just sum it up like this. Okay, 2699 Lette asks, in your evolution of soul searching, what's the favorite thing you learned about you? Mm. Uh, this is easy. The The most important thing I ever learned was that I know for sure that I will always find a way. And I trust that 100%. I count on myself to make it work, no matter what. And that realization, like that um, 
core belief is so strong in me that it kills out a lot of fear I used to have when I was younger. When I was younger, I was very scared at all times, like, oh, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen if that happens? And will I disappear somewhere? And I just want someone to save me. And this is what I have talked about so much this episode. Like, if you push through when it gets hard, if you move away, if you go through a heartbreak, like, no no matter what happens, you push through and you take it on as a challenge, you are going to get to a point where you realize, if I survived that, I can survive anything. And I, it's not that I have been through awful, terrible things in my life, but I have built a very strong core belief that I will always find a way. I, I trust that. And I think that that is my, my favorite thing I have learned about myself because it just makes you quite fearless. I am not scared to make big decisions, to move somewhere new, to quit things, to start new things, because I I trust that uh, I will find a way to be happy and make it work. Yep. Okay, last question from Jeff. I feel like the first part of this question thing was way more chill, and now I my, the coffee has kicked in. I'm talking faster. My tone is higher. <laughs> uh, maybe I should always record podcasts early in the morning to keep my to keep my voice calm and cozy. Okay, Jeff asks, how can we age gracefully as wandering um, gracefully as wandering should without selling out and settling down? Oh, how can we age gracefully as wandering should without selling out and settling down? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I do have another episode on aging gracefully. You can search for that. I really love that episode. But specifically when it comes to not selling out and settling down, I think it's about always questioning if your situation right now is what you actually want and dream of right now. Because dreams and values change. That's For me, that's a part of aging gracefully. Aging gracefully to me is embracing each new year and each new age and each new stage with love and understanding that what I wanted 20 years ago is not what I want today. And maybe even what I wanted six months ago might not be what I want today. And that's okay because... If you embrace everything that comes at you, you're going to learn and grow and change. And as you learn and grow and change, your values will change and your priorities in life will change. And so I think the worst thing you can do is to be stubborn and hold on to something that actually no longer is a high priority to you. For example, the relationship you're in, is it still nurturing you? Is it still giving you energy? Is it still making you happy? Are you two still the perfect fit for each other? I'm not encouraging anybody to give up on relationships, but it it doesn't mean that the relationship have to end, but it might mean that you have to restart the same relationship. Maybe you two need to look at each other in your eyes. Or the city you live. Maybe you loved it once. Maybe you once had so many things happening there, um, so many people that 
kept you to the city, but is it really still true? Or do you, are you just in the city now because you've always been? Or your job, is it still what you dream of doing? Or do you just keep this job because it's comfortable and, you know? And you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say same thing with the wandering thing. Once you maybe dreamt of being a wanderer, is it still what you dream of? Or are you just being stubborn about it? Because that's really a shift I have been making. You know, I went from, like I said in the last part, wanting to live on a tour bus my entire life. That was my dream. I couldn't dream of a better way to spend my life than waking up in a little bunker in a tour bus with my band and going from town to town. Um, and I have made a shift. I, I, I mean, honestly, I actually think I would still love to live on a tour bus. But I no longer want to hop around on buses with my guitar and play acoustic shows for no money, just for the sake of loving playing my music. I, I still love doing that, but I want to do it in a different way. I want to go and live somewhere for a month or two and build up a community and play shows in that city and become friends with a bar owner or the venue owner and build up a local support group. And then I move to the next city maybe for two, one or two months. So like even with the way that you're thinking about how you want to be a wanderer, don't be stubborn about it. Re Rethink it. Does it still serve you the way you do it today? So these things to me are aging gracefully. Because to me, aging gracefully is really using all of the wisdom you have now. You know, I think people who are stubborn about how they used to do it or who settle into doing something just because they've always done it that way, that's the opposite of graceful aging to me. That's becoming passive and tired and losing your fire. Yeah, and, and that to me belongs with not settling, you know. If you just do something because you've always done it, that's settling to me. You have to, you have to always keep pushing. Is there a better way to do this? Is there a new way I can do it? Is there something else that would make me happier today? Is there something else I'm better at today because I'm smarter now? You know, always question. Always be questioning. Okay. You know what? I've had three cups of coffee uh, during these two episodes. It's been lovely. I have loved answering all these questions. I hope you guys have too. I'm nervous about what you're going to say. I hope it has been boring. And I'm sorry if my voice was stressed this last part. It was the coffee. <sighs> Thank you for listening. Um, so I guess I'm going to put this out on Wednesday or Thursday. And by then I'm actually going to be in Sweden so that's going to be cold <laughs> and empty. But um, yeah, let's. My, my next episode after this one, I think I'm going to try to make these longer episodes about moving away part two um, and then the what it means to be at peace and free because I really loved that question. Then I want to make an episode on, an updated episode on writing books and publishing books because I get so many questions on it. And then maybe after that, we'll do another coffee hang and questions episode. All right. Let me know what you think and have a beautiful morning, afternoon, evening. I love you. Bye.